Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Rick Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Deb Johnston to answer our medical questions. Dr. Johnston's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group, Brookings, and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Johnston. Good morning, Laura. It's good to be here on this really miserable morning. It is kind of a <laughs> cold, rainy morning, but what? as I was driving over this morning, you could still see the beautiful leaves. Yes. Uh, I feel like we've they've hung around a little longer this year than they did last yes, year, at least have. anyway. So we'll keep enjoying those. Um, last night, our family was counting the days till Halloween. Oh, yeah. Because that is coming around the corner and... Um, Lydia, our eight-year-old, she's excited. She's trying to decide if she's going to be a pioneer girl because we have kind of all the pioneer, a bonnet and a little dress, an apron that she could wear, or she's going to be a build-your-own princess. And my son says, what is a build-your-own princess? And she says, well, it's just a princess I would make on my own. It wouldn't be Cinderella or Rapunzel. It would be a build-your-own princess. So I was like, okay. So I'm not sure if I'm going to have a pioneer girl or a build-your-own princess princess. this year for Halloween. But maybe she could be a pioneer princess. Yes, there you go. That's a great idea. Pioneer (laughs) princess. She could combine the two. But as we think about Halloween coming up, I was thinking about about flu shot season oh, that yes. kind of is a reminder right this time of Absolutely. year as we get ready for Halloween is is now the right now time, is a great or time to wait go a get week your flu shot now yeah, okay absolutely go I have had my flu shot um, go get your flu shot it's also a great time if you are eligible for a COVID booster if you haven't had your COVID shot uh, it's a great time to get that vaccine as well so uh, absolutely we are all very concerned in the medical field about our flu season this year because last year we had very very little flu Mm -hmm. everybody was staying home staying apart there was a lot of mask use Um, and as soon as the mask came off we started seeing a lot of rsv and parainfluenza we didn't see much influenza that's a very seasonal thing Um, but we are quite apprehensive about what we're going to see this season our hospitals are are working pretty darn close to capacity with just COVID. And if we start adding our usual influenza uh, load mm-hmm. demand with that, we're going to be we're going to be hurting. Mm-hmm. So everybody get your flu shot, wash your hands, wear your masks take some precautions and and help us and help your neighbors yeah absolutely so now is the time to go now get our flu shot and you said if if we qualify for a booster um you could get the booster and the you flu shot at the, at the same, same time? time okay yep and uh if people have questions about that booster um do you want to give us a rundown or is it best <laughs> for them to just call in and, no, and check it, 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 The big challenge with the booster is that there's so much in flux. Mm -hmm. Right now, um, well, first off, I think it's really important to kind of emphasize the difference between a third dose and a booster. 
Uh, earlier this, this year, the FDA, the powers that be, came out and recommended a third dose for certain people, and that is true of either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, either of the mRNA-based vaccines. So people for whom we have some reason to think that they will not respond very well to the vaccine, so people with uh, certain cancers, see people who are being treated for cancer, people who have had transplants and are on medicines that keep their immune system from rejecting those new organs, uh, people who are on certain medications for chronic diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, those folks need a third dose. And that is not a booster, that is a third dose that should be considered part of the primary series. And we see this with other vaccines too. The, the one that comes to mind is the human papillomavirus vaccine, uh, which if you start that vaccine series before the age of 15, you only need two doses. If you wait until you're 15, you need three doses. So there are other vaccines where the individual getting the shot, characteristics of that person determine how many shots you need to be considered fully vaccinated. So if you fall into those categories, you definitely need a, th a third dose. Right now, only the Pfizer vaccine has been approved for boosters, again, for certain people that are at higher risk, either uh, for complications of the disease or exposure to the disease. Um, we are all expecting that full approval for the Moderna booster and maybe the Johnson & Johnson booster will be coming in the near future, but um, the Moderna booster has kind of cleared the first step, but there's a couple more steps before that's an official recommendation, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right, and we will give those updates as we, as we learn, learn more about them. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being here this morning, Dr. Johnson. I'm looking forward to this next half hour and um, talking about a variety of topics, including yes. our um, Prairie Doc topic this week, um, which is maternal mortality. So after our break, we'll kind of dive into what that is and what we're going to be talking about with that. So we'll be going to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Academic success is an excellent indicator for the overall well-being of youth and a primary predictor and determinant of adult health outcomes. Leading national education organizations recognize the close relationship between health and education, as well as the need to foster health and well-being within the educational environment for all students. If you find your student struggling with classwork, seek help early. The school counselors may be able to direct you to a tutor to help the student stay on course. Also talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings to have your student's health evaluated. There is a variety of issues that be, could be causing the poor grades, such as poor sleep or attention deficit disorder. Call today for an appointment, 605-697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to answer our medical questions. If you have a question, give us a call at 605 
692-1430. We had someone on top of things today and got us a question before the show even started. Yay. Thank you so much for your question. Um, this caller asks, what causes a person to have a slowing or a low heart rate? That is a great question. There are so many different uh, causes for that. Um, one of them, which is probably not going to affect this particular individual just because they don't tend to notice, but uh, one of them is just particularly younger people who are in really spectacular condition. People that are marathon runners, you know, major athletes will often have slower heart rates than the average person. So that's, uh, that's not anything to be concerned about. But if you do notice that your heart rate is slow, it's probably worth at least going in and, and getting checked out. Uh, sometimes thyroid problems can cause the heart rate to be abnormal. Um, sometimes medications, particularly a class of medications, called the beta blockers, uh, which are blood pressure medicines and also used for, for heart failure or preventing migraines. Things like metoprolol or, or carvedilol um, can do that. And the most common thing that we see in the office are problems with the, the electrical system of the heart. And that can be caused, again, by certain different health conditions, Lyme disease, for example. Um, but more often, it's primary to the heart. There's a problem with the electrical system. Um, and some people end up needing to be on medication. Some people end up needing a pacemaker for that. A lot of it depends on the individual's symptoms. So the answer is lots of different possibilities. Um, if your heart rate is slow, particularly if it's consistently beneath that 60, if you are having dizzy spells, go in and get it checked out. Okay. I was just going to ask, what, what's, when do we get concerned? So yes. below 60 beats per minute. Yep. And, and that is, again, just kind of the average normal. The average normal is between 60 and 100. Uh, depending on what you're doing, it may be faster, obviously. I expect it to be faster if I've just run up the stairs mm -hmm. uh, or if I'm exercising. The whole goal is to get your heart rate to go faster. Um, and some some experts think that maybe 60 is a little faster than the true average kind of lower end. Um, but if it's worth at least getting it checked out, if it's consistently beneath 60, particularly if it doesn't get faster when you do things, um, or if your low heart rate is associated with dizzy spells or passing out spells. What are some of the risks we might face if we have a lower heart rate? Um, first, there's the risks that may be associated with whatever's causing your low heart rate. Um, if you have, for example, heart failure, that obviously has its own set of risks. If you have thyroid problems, that has its own set of risks. The issue when with the heart rate itself is if the heart is beating too slowly, it may not generate enough blood flow and then you don't get the blood flow to your other organs, particularly your brain. Your brain really doesn't like not getting blood mm -hmm. flow. So it's not usually strokes, but people will have have what we call syncopal episodes where they will pass out. And uh, obviously that can be dangerous if it happens to you under certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, right. Okay. 
Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for that question. Uh, and thank you, Dr. Yes. Johnston, for Thank you for that question. Call that in with question. more. Yeah, if anyone else has a question, you can give us a call. 605-692-1430. Dr. Johnston, we have a topic this week of maternal mortality. What I am, is that? I am so excited about this topic. I think it's going to be a great show this week. So one of the things that we tend not to think about as a culture is that pregnancy is actually a pretty dangerous time in a woman's life. Uh, there's a lot of changes that happen to her body. Um, there's a lot of alterations in blood flow. Um, and there are a lot of risks associated with pregnancy, both pregnancy-specific risks like uh, eclampsia, which is a condition where a woman's blood pressure gets too high and she can have seizures and, and her uh, clotting can get abnormal. There is bleeding that can happen during pregnancy, which can be catastrophic. You can have a pregnancy in the tube, which can rupture, and that can be catastrophic too. So maternal mortality is basically death that comes to a woman as a result. Well, it, it can be something else, a car accident or that, but what we are really focusing on is death that happens as a complication, as a result, or is, is influenced by that pregnancy. And that's really a number you hear sometimes, like different countries. Absolutely. Um, it's a stat, right? It's a it's stat a that we hear. Yes. Uh, what's the in mortality rate, maternal mortality Maternal rate. mortality rate. So. And that, can, that varies very much based on where you are. I mean, there are certainly, uh, we here in the United States are very fortunate compared to a lot of the world where they don't have access to uh, quality health care, people who have training, who know how to respond to some of these emergencies. They may not even have um, clean conditions in which to give birth. Uh, so there are certainly parts of the world where it's a lot more dangerous to be a pregnant person. Um, and then there are places in the world where it's less dangerous mm -hmm. to be a pregnant person. And I think that's something that we as a society, we as an American culture, really need to stop and look at and say, what what are we doing? What could we do better? Why aren't we taking better care of our pregnant people? What are some of the most important things we are able to do to help um, improve those rates? Access to prenatal care is okay. a really important one. Uh, watching for complications that can develop. Um, having access to uh, quality places to give birth. Um, people who know how to respond to emergencies that that might happen during labor and delivery. Um, those are, are really important things. But even things outside of, of those kind of obvious steps, um, nutrition, if mom is malnourished, she is at higher, higher risk. Uh, chronic health conditions that moms may have can put them at higher risk for complications and, and more what we call morbidity, which means basically injury that mm -hmm. happens as a result. So uh, I remember my very first day of my OB rotation as a third-year medical student. Um, we had our kind of orientation lecture, and then they farmed us all out, and they sent me into the operating room to, to be there with the cesarean section, which I was totally not expecting, and I hadn't had breakfast, and it was early in the morning, 
And uh, unfortunately, this cesarean section, they couldn't get the bleeding to Mm. stop after they had delivered this baby. And ultimately, they removed the woman's uterus Mm. to get her her bleeding to stop, um, which is... and I, I don't know what happened to that particular woman or, or how she did afterwards or anything like that. But as a young woman myself, she was a little younger than I. I remember just thinking how devastating it would be to go in to have your baby and wake up not able to have any more. Mm. Uh, so that is something that we would consider maternal morbidity. Mm. Um, uh, so any kind of a loss that a woman or an injury, something that's changed as a result of that would be considered morbidity. And then, of course, mortality, where the the person dies. Mm. So we need as a society to stop and think about how are we going to support women and how are we going to reduce the risks to them uh, as a result of their pregnancy because babies need their their parents, too. They need that that birthing parent. So... um, we need to look at that as part of our society. Mm-hmm. Back to my college days, looking at like sociology issues yes. here, right? So how, how Absolutely. as a society are we affected by how we are caring for mothers? And Absolutely. It's what we call the social determinants of health. So, you know, is, is mom safe? You know, women have a higher risk of being victims of domestic violence. Uh, Pregnancy can be a very triggering event in a in a family. Uh, so, how do we keep people safe? How do we keep moms safe uh, from other sources of violence, um, gang violence, and um, carjackings, and all those kinds of things, and even car accidents? Mm-hmm. You know, the a pregnant woman who, again, has a lot of her blood flow being diverted to that um, to that baby is more vulnerable to accidents. Hmm. Interesting. Fascinating. Yes. So a lot of risk factors. A lot of risk factors. Well, we need to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now with your questions at 605-692-1430. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Skin cancer is the most common cancer in the United States. Unprotected skin can be damaged by the sun's UV rays in less than 15 minutes. Even if it's cool and cloudy, you still need protection. UV rays, not the temperature, do the damage. Anyone can get skin cancer, but some things put you at higher risk. The most common signs of skin cancer are changes on your skin, such as a new growth, a sore that doesn't heal, or a change in a mole. Tips to avoid skin cancer include stay in the shade, especially during the late morning through mid-afternoon, apply sunscreen and reapply every two hours. SPF of 30 or greater is recommended. Have your skin checked regularly and have it checked by a professional at your wellness checks. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. 
Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here answering our medical questions. If you have a question, give us a call at 605-692-1430. Before the break, we were talking about our Prairie Doc topic this week is maternal mortality. And that ties into our television show that you're going to be hosting tomorrow evening, Dr. Justin. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm, I'm excited about this show. I, I managed to convince um, Dr. Larissa Bennis, who's one of the OBGYNs here in Brookings, to be on the show with me. And I'm really, really excited because Dr. Lisa, Lisa Saul, who is a maternal fetal medicine, a high-risk pregnancy specialist in Minneapolis, has agreed to join us uh, via Zoom. So I think it's going to be a great show and a great opportunity for people to learn more from from both a local expert who takes care of pregnant women in our community and somebody who takes care of the highest risk of highest risk pregnancies. Uh, so they'll obviously have a little different perspective on things. Um, I think, you know, Dr. Bennis is certainly very uh, aware of how quickly things can go bad mm-hmm. and uh, crises can develop and what we need to do to be able to be prepared for those. And Dr. Saul has um, a lot of experience in situations where you expect things are going to be a problem. So it'll be a really great, great show. One of the things that I think, certainly if you are, um, if you're interested in the topic and you have read about the topic, uh, you're aware of, but I think the average person may not be aware of is how different a person's experience and risks are based on socioeconomic class and particularly based on race. Uh, We know that black Americans have a rate of death related to pregnancy over three times as high as white Americans. Native Americans, uh, the rate is somewhere in between there, but it's still significantly higher than it is for, for white Americans. And I think that you know, there's a lot of factors that play into that from the chronic stresses that are more likely to be experienced by people of color in our culture. Um, the fact the the kind of consequences of, of decades, centuries of social policy that tend to uh, segregate populations. Um, so a lot of times people of color will live in uh, communities where they don't have as ready access to uh, quality health care or to um, nutrition or, you know, if, if you live in an inner city and there's not a safe park nearby, you know, it's easy for us here in Brookings to go out for a walk. It's a lot harder in some communities. So there's a lot of factors that play into that. And we really need to think, as again, as a society, uh, how do we address those? And as researchers, we need to be looking at what are those factors and how can we address those? There's a lot of um, well-earned skepticism and suspicion of the medical system on the parts of communities of color that uh, we need to figure out how can we you know, how can we make up for the mistreatment of the past and earn that trust back? Mm -hmm. 
Earlier you mentioned um, prenatal care being yep. so important in this process. In an, I- in an ideal situation, um, once you find out you're pregnant, when should you try to get in for some of that prenatal care? Or is even <clears throat> are there better outcomes if you get in before you even Ab- become pregnant absolutely. and consider those things I, too? I think it's very worth considering a preconception visit uh, before you even get pregnant to, to make sure that you're getting that folic acid supplementation uh, to make sure that, oh, gee, you know, you aren't immune to chickenpox or you're not immune to rubella and, you know, the immunizations that uh, may help protect your pregnancy to have counseling about uh, alcohol use and cleaning the litter box and all of those kinds of things to make sure that your health is optimized before pregnancy. Uh, If, for example, you're diabetic, uh, if you have obesity, if you have hypertension, there's a lot of medications that we may use that aren't necessarily healthy for developing fetuses. So um, there's a lot that can be accomplished with a preconception visit. Otherwise, it's nice to kind of get you in as soon as possible, certainly in that first trimester. So those first 14 weeks, it's important to remember that when we count weeks in pregnancy, we count from the first day of the last period. However, that is before conception has happened. Conception usually happens you know, if you if you take the average 28-day cycle, <laughs> which I always say with a little bit of a laugh because mm-hmm. uh, that's certainly true for some women but not for others, uh, if you take the average 28-day cycle, so a woman who has a period and then four weeks later, 28 days later, has her next period, um, we anticipate that conception will happen around day 14. So at two weeks, you're already two weeks pregnant when that egg and sperm get together and then that first missed period again if you have your 28-day cycles it wouldn't be until two weeks after conception before you miss a period so you're four weeks pregnant when you know when you might know that Mm -hmm. you're pregnant so we really want to have people come in between before 12 to 14 weeks. I see a lot of women coming in at about eight weeks. Um, Some women will come in a little sooner. Some women will come in a little later. But we really, really want to get prenatal care started within that first trimester. Okay, great information. Uh, Well, we're going to take our final break. And when we return, I know we do have a question here about pain medication. So we will address that when we return. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. If you have a question, give us a call at 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. If you have arthritis, participating in joint-friendly physical activity can improve your arthritis pain, function, mood, and quality of life. Joint-friendly physical activities are low-impact, which means that they put less stress on the body, reducing the risk of injury. Examples of joint-friendly activities include walking, biking, and swimming. Being physically active can also delay the onset of arthritis-related disabilities and help people with arthritis manage other chronic conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings to learn more about managing arthritis. Call for an appointment at 605 
697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to answer our medical questions. Uh, before we go, Dr. Johnston, we did get a question here. Yay. Yes, the question says, why does the pain medication I'm taking after knee surgery cause constipation? So there's a lot of reasons that play into that. Um, One thing that people sometimes don't think about is I've just had surgery. I'm not moving as well. Activity is important for keeping those bowels moving. Maybe I'm not drinking as much. I might be a little dehydrated. Maybe my diet is a little different. However, the most likely reason is that this person is getting prescribed an opioid medication, something like um, Lortab, hydrocodone, oxycodone, you know, those controlled substances that we are all concerned about with the opioid epidemic, and opioids are well known for slowing down the bowels. So Mm. I would uh, minimize that as much as possible, both for the bowels and for uh, the interests of the opioid the potential for addiction Mm -hmm. with these medications. Um, But obviously you also need to be able to move after your knee surgery. So you need some form of pain control. Um, But uh, keep up with your fiber. This is the one situation where I'll often encourage people to take a little bit of laxative, a little bit of senna uh, to try to counteract that slowing of the gut. Usually I try to get people to avoid those. But stool softeners, lots of fiber in the diet, lots of liquid, all those kinds of things to try to keep things moving. Okay. And that um, hopefully will resolve itself yes. as you... As you get off of those off medications. I, f- I fully expect that it will get go back to normal after you're done with those medications. Okay. And when you're, when you're done, if you have any leftover go and take them. A lot of the pharmacies in town have uh, safe disposal areas. They've got bins where you can put those medications in and those medications will be destroyed. Don't leave them where other people can get them. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good reminders with those. Controlled those substance. Yes, yes, they are, they da- they dangerous. are potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for this great information today, Dr. Johnston. It was fun to talk about all these different topics. Yes. And looking forward to learning more um, when we watch our, your television show tomorrow night. So before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. This week on Thursday, October 21st, Prairie Doc Deb Johnston will discuss protecting mom, maternal mortality, with her guest, Dr. Lisa Saul, the president of the Mother Baby Clinical Service Line at Alina Health, and Dr. Larissa Bennis with Avera Medical Group Obstetrics and Gynecology in Brookings. So tune in for that tomorrow night on SDPB Television. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Deb Johnston for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.